five, four, three, two, one. Two timeouts for Oklahoma. Kansas with Neal. Touchdown! Lawrence's own gives Kansas the lead. Dylan Gabriel to the end zone. Incomplete. A generational win for Kansas. Finally toppling Oklahoma. Well, I know one of the interesting things about the World Series was the fact that everybody was saying going into it that the ratings were going to be low, and they were. Rangers, Diamondbacks, perhaps on paper, when you're looking at it, eh, not the sexiest of matchups, but if you're a baseball Puritan and you enjoy the spirit of the game and just, hey, oh, by the way, watching good baseball, you saw a really good Texas Rangers team and a really bright future for a Diamondbacks team that I said about a month and a half ago I thought was title good. And then as soon as I said it, they went on an eight-game losing streak. But you saw a glimpse of what the immediate future is going to hold for that Diamondbacks team. An 84-win team in the World Series. Rarified air. Hot at the right time. Yes, uber-talented. Undoubtedly. Welcome to the latest edition of Sports Today with Peter J. The Thursday, November 2nd edition. Special happy birthday to my mother out in Austin, Texas. Don't bother asking how old she is because I don't even know. But a happy birthday to my mom, Linda, who's out listening in Texas tonight, uh, celebrating her birthday uh, in much warmer conditions than we have here in the Northeast. Plenty to talk about. And obviously, starting with the World Series probably makes the most sense. And, and you look at what this Texas Ranger team was able to accomplish. Sure, it's the first title in the history of the of the organization. Been around 63 years. That in and of itself is highly impressive. But when you break down the path to the title, it becomes all that more inspiring. Folks, this is a team that went 11-0 on the road in the playoffs this year. Going on the road and taking games one and two in the opening round from the Baltimore Orioles, who won an always difficult American League East. You know, Yankees, Red Sox miss out on the playoffs, but they weren't easy outs. Blue Jays, Rays, playoff teams. And this is a Texas team that sweeps Baltimore. Matter of fact, made it look relatively easy. You fast forward a little bit and they're aligning themselves against the Houston Astros 
in the American League Championship Series. Tough enough, we know for recency's sake how dominant the Astros have been. And people certainly have their opinions of that. That's not what this is about. The Houston Astros are legitimate, and they have been the dominant team of the last decade with multiple World Series titles and multiple World Series trips at that. Coming, coming into the tournament, the defending champions. Texas gets down three games to two. All they do is go back on the road. After winning games one and two in Houston, dropping three, four, and five at home, and then they turn around and get six and seven on the road in Houston, which is unfathomable that you would be able to do that against a battle-tested organization come this time, which is basically a formality, right? For the Houston Astros, the regular season's almost become a formality. Let's get through the 162 and on to the tournament. And they've been so successful at doing that, and why not? Why wouldn't they be viewed as the favorite? But then here come the Rangers, a healthy Rangers who battled down the stretch with the Astros in the AL West, with the Seattle Mariners in the AL West. I mean, that was the focus of my show for the last three weeks of the season was what was the theatrics of what was happening in the American League East because it was must-see TV every single day if you were a baseball fan. Two were going to get in. One was going to get bounced. It happened to be the Mariners. That's how tight that race was in the AL West. And out come the 90-win Rangers on into the World Series. Now, they might have been one of the, the hotter picks out of the AL if you were doing your DraftKings or FanDuel or just pick them with your friends. Who do you think is going to the World Series? Me, personally, I thought it would be Baltimore. I thought it would be Baltimore-Atlanta. Kind of went chalk there based on what I, what I saw during the regular season, like most people would have. And honestly, I was wrong. But that Texas Ranger team, you know, I saw a, a question on ESPN earlier. Hot at the right time or legitimate title good? Well, obviously, they're legitimately title good, guys. I mean, this wasn't a fluke. This was a team that got out to a red-hot start in the beginning of the year and kind of teetered with injuries, acquiring Max Scherzer. He gets banged up. You had Jacob DeGrom pitching well in the beginning. Of course, he goes down with an injury never to be seen again this season. You thought maybe losing Adolis Garcia like they did in game four would be a problem. Nope. Guys like Mitch Hanniger, Josh Young, the rookie third baseman, who is phenomenal, going to be a cornerstone for them for a long time. They push the right buttons. And oh, by the way, for the people who don't invest a lot in managerial positions in baseball, convince me that Bruce Bochy's thumbprint on this team didn't make a difference. You knew the ratings were going to be lower because of who was in the tournament. But if you watched it from a purely baseball perspective, it was fantastic. I mean, even if you use game four as an example, when Texas goes up 10-0, final score is 11-7. So if we're into runs, you know, some people like the pitching and the defense. Some people like the defense in football outside of the points. I get it. That was worthwhile baseball, and Texas gets it done in five. And they're set up for success moving forward. Now, when you look at what Arizona had accomplished, again, I'll say 84 wins during the regular season, all they did was mow down Dodgers via the sweep. So you had the Rangers and the, and the Diamondbacks moving on after round one via sweeps. Impressive. Probably less likely that you would have thought the Diamondbacks would be a team to do that with the Dodgers. Then they knock out the Atlanta Braves. And then they go blow for blow with Philly. And almost the parallels between Texas and Arizona were eye-popping. 
You think Arizona, 3-2 hole coming out of the desert, going to Philly, much like Texas did going to Houston, and they take two. They take a game six in Philadelphia. They take a game seven in Philly in front of that raucous crowd to get to the World Series. And they were three outs away from taking game one, ultimately did take game two. Don't you think it's a different series if Arizona doesn't blow that two-run lead in the ninth of game one? I think so. Momentum plays a big deal in this, especially with a young team. But what that team is set up with, with guys like Carroll, you listen to the show, you know how much I love Corbin Carroll. Uh, Cattell Marte, who all he does is produce in the home runs. The amount of games he's played, he's got double the hits in the postseason. That's impressive. That's an impressive stat nine. Christian Walker, a 30-plus home or 100-plus RBI guy playing first base. Solidified corner options. Gabby Moreno behind the plate. I mean, this eventually they're going to have to pay some of these guys, and you know they will. How about Gallon in the rotation? How about Brendan Fott moving forward, really finding his footing on that big stage where a lot of these young kids were thrown into it? And this is, wasn't just an Arizona team that acquitted itself well, folks. This was a team that was battling from game one of the regular season all the way through. Yes, some lulls and ups and downs. So I thought I kind of had foot and mouth disease about six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, when I said I thought they were title good. I never saw this stuff. Because as soon as I said that, again, Arizona goes on an eight-game losing streak. But here they are when it mattered most. They come up short, yes. But I, I don't go out of, I don't go into the offseason when we will start doing postmortems moving forward for a lot of these teams in the offseason in the coming weeks as we get more and more even into the NBA and NHL as these talking points grow with free agency and the winter meetings. You know, I don't leave this season with this World Series disappointed. I thought it was great baseball. I thought it was a great storyline. I thought there were multiple enjoyable storylines with the youth of the Diamondbacks, some of the veteran leadership combining with the youth of this Texas Ranger team led by Bruce Bochy, who won three titles when he was the manager at San Francisco. That's cool stuff. And if you appreciate the game of baseball, you should have appreciated that World Series. Now, I know the numbers were down. You know, the average less than nine million. That that you know, that's that's a dip from when you had even during the COVID year when it was Tampa Bay, LA in the shortened 60 game season. But if you watch those games and you watch the CSs leading up to them, it was a fun tournament, and I think it was a good way to go out. Texas gets his first title uh in the 63 years of the franchise. And before we move on with some quick Yankee news, how about what Corey Seeger did? At the shortstop position, across five games in the World Series, three dingers, six runs driven in, in five games. I mean, that's putting a team on your back. This is a Texas team, folks, that across the five games in the World Series scored 26 runs. Undefeated on the road. Talk about battle-tested. You don't think winning in Baltimore propels them moving forward to then go win in Houston and then win home and road games in the World Series? That's big. That's big, 90-72 and 72 regular season because like Arizona, they did have some lulls. That's a team that was even better than the 90 wins they put forward on paper this year. And the proof is now in the pudding as they've won the fall classic and they can go into the offseason as the one team who every year, right? There's always one team who accomplishes the ultimate goal this year. It's the Texas Rangers. So hats off to Bruce Bochy and company because that was a hell of a job. To go, you can't say it enough, 11-0 and in an American league that included 
the Blue Jays, the Tampa Bay Rays, who were the talk of baseball outside of the Braves for 75% of the year. The Houston Astros, they knock off. I mean, this was remarkable baseball, and to not lose a road game, to not lose an elimination game, they are deservingly the champions, and right now, the overwhelming best team in baseball. At a Yankees camp today, Domingo Herman. obviously the guy's got good stuff, does the righty, uh, and he had been, for the most part, a fairly reliable asset to that Yankee rotation. There's baggage there with the domestic violence issues, the off-the-field issues, with the substance abuse and whatnot. Yankees outrighted him today. And what that means, for those of you who might be a little unclear with that, and I just saw this about 20 minutes ago. Again, for those listening live, 7, 12 p.m. Thursday, November 2nd, out here on the East Coast, this only came across about 20 minutes ago. He's outrighted. Now, that means he can go through free agency or actually be claimed by another team. So Domingo Herman's time with the Yankees is over. And I think that's a good thing. I just think it became a situation that the New York Yankees, after what was really amounted to be, yes, a disappointing year, but one I didn't think was all that shocking because not much had been done outside of the Rodon deal, which obviously didn't work out to injury. And then Aaron Judge's uh, continued injuries after crashing into that wall in L.A., they didn't do much to really reignite that offense from a, a poor showing in the American League Championship Series the year before, this is the type of headache that you just didn't need. And the Yankees had offered assistance, guidance, and support here for Harman over the last couple of years. This is now a situation where this is the right move. Move on. Someone is going to claim this guy because, again, he is an effective pitcher. But the headache, the off-the-field stuff for a Yankee team that's now trying to reinvent itself in the clubhouse and in the analytic department, this is just something that they did not need to deal with. Uh, I, you know, I, you probably thought it might have been something that was coming down the pipeline, but to have it happen the night after the World Series, you'll start to see more and more things now develop as we go into uh, deeper in November and then obviously through the uh, the winter meetings before spring training and whatnot. So Yankees have some tough decisions to make uh, with some free agents of their own. Tonight is not the night to talk about all of those things, but the Herman news was certainly something that needed to be mentioned because it affects this Yankee team and its rotation um, and does have an impact on that AL East uh, moving forward as well. But again, just to, to put a bow on things like this, that World Series, the ratings are down. You knew that was going to happen. Not the sexiest matchup on paper, but the Puritans would have enjoyed that from a purely baseball perspective. Because folks, I know I did. I thought that was some damn good baseball. And you finally got a chance to see how good that Texas Ranger team really is. Subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Sports Today with Peter J. Yeah, by now we all know where to subscribe, right? We're on Podbean Live every Friday. This is a little different. I got a wedding this weekend, so I'm going to be away. Hence the Thursday night hosting. Uh, Spotify right here on Podbean, iTunes, iHeartRadio. Uh, you can subscribe at all time. Again, listenership continues to skyrocket. And uh, effective next week, we'll be unveiling our first official sponsor um, of sports today with Peter J. Uh, so that'll be an exciting time to announce that and debut 
uh, the first commercial spot for that um, next Friday. Uh, as we shift out of the World Series, you know, and jump into the football landscape. You got another big week as we you know buys are starting to pop up. Week nine gets interesting here, as it usually does. You start to see a little bit of carousels taking place, quarterback changes. There's coaching changes going on. One of the things that really has stuck out to me is the is the injury bug that has really nailed the league as a whole. You saw earlier uh, in the week, Kirk Cousins in Minnesota done for the season. ACL, his his time in Minnesota might be up at least for this year. So what do the Vikings do? They go out and they poach uh, Joshua Dobbs from Arizona, who on a bad team has played well. So it gives Minnesota an opportunity there uh, to kind of stay head above water as they've won three straight and try to stay in this playoff race. Uh, the Vikings were left for dead a couple of weeks ago. So here they are um, heading into week nine, and we're going to go through the picks in just a little bit. Um, but this is a Minnesota team that now is right in the thick of things. Um, moving forward, you lose Cousins. That's a big deal. If they're able to keep things working, you know, with a defense that is suspect, then now you add Cam Akers into the backfield to go along with Madison. You don't know if it's enough, but momentum might be able to continue here, and you might be able to see what the Vikings have moving forward. Really the talk of, of week eight before we highlight um, a little more of what's going on uh, this weekend to come uh, was the Jet Giant game. And not for good reasons. 22 plus punts combined, whatever it was, 24 punts, 16 by, uh, combined by both teams before halftime. Weather wasn't great. It was a miserable scene in the, in, in the crowd, a giant home game. And, you know, the, the New York Jets escape out of there, I guess you would say, with a victory handed to them on a silver platter. Now, there's not all that much that you could say about last week, really for either team, that was positive. But the one thing that that I really, and even so, I usually, my wife and I have this conversation all the time, it, it takes me a long time to get over losses for teams that I root for regularly. But the really knife to the chest losses take longer. And you all, all you sports fans know exactly what I'm talking about. It, this one takes a solid week to get over. I mean, it's every day something's coming up about another giant collapse. And at two and six, you know, the season's over. They got some winnable games. I know Daniel Jones comes back this week. It, it looks like the, uh, the bookend tackles in Evan Neal, who's been out the last two games. Andrew Thomas, thank God, who's been out the last seven, might be able to play at left tackle this weekend against the Raiders, who are another dumpster fire. Um, but again, at two and six, you're not doing too much without a miracle. Now, the teams in front of them in the playoff race, I guess, are bad. We're not even going that far. When you break down and go slice for slice, with what happened in that giant game. Doesn't matter who's under center. Doesn't matter who's on the field. When you have a chance to win a game in the National Football League, you're supposed to jump at it. And the Giants did everything but that. Everything but that. You had the third-string quarterback after the tough injury to Tyrod Taylor, who had the rib injury. He's out. Now, Tommy DeVito had been the primary backup to Tyrod Taylor, because as you all know or should know, Daniel Jones had been out for three months with a neck injury, uh, three weeks with a neck injury that he suffered in the Miami loss. And what the Giants showed, what the coaching staff showed, and what ownership and management showed in that moment when Tommy DeVito had to come in against the New York Jets 
a good NFL defense was that this guy, who was your primary backup quarterback, meaning if your new QB1, Tyrod Taylor, goes down, this is the guy coming in, what the Giants showed you was that they did not prepare this guy for success. 25 plays run, he throws one pass, one forward pass. Threw more, but two of them were called back for penalties. So you have an NFL quarterback in there who had acquitted himself well early. DeVito actually ran for a touchdown against a really good Jess Rutsch defense. That's actually the best part of the Jets defense. People think it's a secondary. It's not. It's that front line. That guy, kid runs in for a touchdown. No throws. No willingness to advance the ball down the field. You got a banged up kicker who, by the way, with Gano, the 231 yarders, if you're on the field, you got to make the kicks. Now, Gano got put on the shelf today. Randy Bullock's back in town. He's expected to take the Giants kicking job moving forward. But I was blown away at the Giants' inability to make sound, logical, level-headed decisions, specifically the last three minutes of that football game. You get the Jets on their heels. They, they're they not moving the football. Zach Wilson is not doing a thing other than turn it over twice with fumbles. He had not done a thing all game. Not a damn thing. Giant defense has played like this all season, by the way. And what do the Giants do? Even with the Jets, not with timeouts at their disposal, they're running plays with four or five seconds left on the play clock. Play clock. They're kicking field goals on fourth and one when you can step on the Jets' throat. Even if you missed a field goal and you were to give Zach Wilson the football from the spot of the miss with no timeouts and the way he had played and the lack of production he was getting on the outside, you take your chances there. Brian Dable goes for that last drive on fourth and one a season ago. I don't know what the hell happened. Because this New York Giant defense, folks, the team is not very good. But they're not, they're not a horrendous football team. They're not an embarrassment. The offense is lousy. They struggle to score points. That's been a product of bad quarterback play from Jones included. A product of awful offensive line play. Hence why Jones was hurt. And part of the reason why Tyrod Taylor got hurt last week. But if you don't take chances, if you don't play aggressive with all the momentum on your side, I mean, the mathematical percentages of the Giants losing that game on that final drive after Thibodeau almost knocked Zach Wilson out cold were almost zero. There was almost a 0% mathematical chance that the Giants would lose the game. And I said it, we were eating dinner. I looked right at my wife when Gano missed the 31-yarder, and I said the Jets are going to win. And that is exactly what happened. Stupid penalties by the defense on that last drive. I get it. I'm not hammering them, though, because the team defense had to be exhausted because, again, incompetence by the coaching and the offense put them in a position to have something go awry, and it did. Now, that Jet offense is not good outside of Brees Hall. They just aren't. Garrett Wilson was invisible. Tight ends invincible. Hall had the one play, the 50-yarder on a busted coverage on a screen by the Giants earlier. That was it. And they gifted the game to him on a silver platter. 
If Gano was hurt, he shouldn't have been out there. If he's out there, he's got a job to do. There's no pussyfooting around this. Now he's on the IR. You don't have him. Fine. But don't put him out there if he's not ready to roll because he had earlier missed a longer kick that backed the Giants up. So the coaching. And look, this is not to say that I'm not a, a Brian Dable believer or Joe Shane believer. The Giants have cap issues. They're, they're still getting to know this roster from taking it over a year ago. This team was going to take a step back. I most logical football and Giant fans would agree with that. But the way they're losing some of these games is appalling. That Jet game was a punch to the guy. I mean, Jet fans weren't even celebrating that one. That's how bad it was. Yeah, Jet fans that were almost embarrassed for the Giants. That's how bad that was. And there are losses through my 37 years on this earth that I can't even bring up because it makes my stomach turn. One of them involving a team down the parkway from many years ago. Y'all know what I'm talking about there. This one was bad. Records aside, it doesn't matter. Crosstown rival, you share the damn stadium with them. You were punching them in the mouth all game. All game. Even when the Jets had the lead, you just felt that the Giants were in control. Even though they couldn't do anything offensively, Zach Wilson was a zero. And they give him an opportunity because Zach Wilson might not be very good, but he's still an NFL caliber quarterback. And you gave him a chance to go down the field. And the Jet fans don't like it, but he did. Now, I don't think Zach Wilson's the answer. I, matter of fact, I think with most people to know that he's not. But he did his job in that moment. Put Jets in position to win with one second. They kick the field goal. Thank you, Giants. It goes to overtime. Giants do nothing. Jets get the ball game over. Kind of sums up the Giants' season. Now, you look around the Giants this week. They'll be in Vegas. Vegas just firing in McDaniels and the offensive coordinator. The GM is out as well. This is a Vegas team that has just benched Jimmy Garoppolo. So Aiden O'Connell, the rookie from Purdue, is going to get his first start. This is going to be interesting. With Daniel Jones coming back, the Giants' offensive line looking like it's healthier. You know, I think you're going to have an opportunity now for the Giants to win football games, but from a, a win-loss rankings perspective, it's probably too late. That Jet loss coming on the heels of a couple of weeks ago, where you should have had the Buffalo Bills knocked down in the loss column. But incompetence on the offense lost you that game as well. Coaching in both hands lost you that game as well. So I don't know what has been the change here in decision-making from year one to year two, but it hasn't been good. Year three is when you'll be able to pass a lot of judgment when the Giants have all the money to spend or more money to spend to improve. Yes, the line. Yes, they need an alpha on the outside. And folks, quite honestly, Daniel Jones comes back this week. Whether you like it or not, the, the rest of the season, he's probably playing for his job. He's probably playing for his future as the Giants quarterback. Now, I like the kid. And yes, a huge part of the problem this year has been the wall in front of him that is undeniable. But that offensive line has gotten better. And the Giants' O-line did a damn good job against the Jets on Sunday. With two different quarterbacks, one being a rookie. So the excuses here might be running out. For Daniel Jones, we'll see. Now, the neck injury wasn't his first that he's coming back from, so you got to be careful there. 
but we are absolutely going to learn a lot more. It seems like we're going through this cycle again of evaluating Daniel Jones because the Giants can eat the contract and get out in 24. Whether or not they want to do that or whether or not they do that will hinge, like it or lump it, on how he plays the rest of this season. And there are winnable games coming up starting Sunday against the Raiders. You got another game coming up against the Commanders. You got the Rams on the schedule who are not a very good team. The Cowboys are in there. That's probably a loss. But you've got winnable games on this schedule. It's it's one way or another going to be an opportunity for Daniel Jones to show what he has. Unless the offensive line takes another nosedive, which I don't think it will because it is very much improved. So hats off to the Giants there for making those adjustments when they needed to. Too little, too late, probably. But you got your stomach turning from last week's loss to the Jets. Not that they lost the game, but how they lost. I mean, ask any Cleveland Brown fan or New York Jet fan for that matter, how many times their franchises had been in games like that over the course of history and lost them. This is a giant franchise throughout for most of the years until fairly recently had won those games. And you knew they would close. The golden ages with Sims, the really good Manning years. That hasn't happened. It was was almost like the Giants forgot that even when they had them on the ropes, and Saquon Barkley had a fairly good game, can't do it by himself. Even when they had them on the ropes, they forgot that the New York Jets were a professional defense and a pretty damn good one at that. And they lost it. Instead of being three and five and more in the mix here of this wild card race, now they've got more work to do and basically no room for error. And at two and six, odds in history are certainly not on their side. And you almost feel like deja vu again pre-last season if you're a Giant fan because you've been here before. All right, let's take a look at the Week 9 slate. Uh, we got a lot of good games this week. It starts Thursday night, and this one's in. This one goes on the road. They're home. Any big status up in the air going into it. Will Levis, the quarterback, is going to start for the you know what? I'm going with the road team. I'm going with the team. Stay in the fight and play all great. That's part of the game. It's going to be the last weekend anyway. But give me the Thursday night. Give me Tennessee going and getting the double. Because I think you're in for a treat. I think Will Levis really is going to here tonight. Uh, and I just want to stop the math one Actually, I'll music also. Uh, our buddy Vinny is on the line. What's going on, pal? Pete, what are you doing, Pete? Well, I'm almost over last week's loss. Pete, I got to correct you on quite a few things today. Go nuts. I'm not going to cut you off. Okay. First of all, <laughs> it, how you doing, pal? thank you. Thank you. Pete. Ben, what are we doing? Okay, we're good here. All right. First of all, 
the best part of the Jets' defense is not their run defense. It's their linebackers. The Jets are horrible against the run. The Jets are horrible against the run. They gave up 128 yards to Saquon Barkley, and they knew he was going to run every play. They, they're bad against the run. That's, that's number one. Number two, the Giants only played three good games. Again, their last three games have been good on defense. Their first four or five games, they were absolutely terrible on defense. They haven't been good all year. Number well, three. I mean, the first couple of games, Vin, they were on the field the whole game. They were terrible. The they Giants were I mean, even against Dallas. They, they were, Dallas they were horrible the against Arizona. They were horrible against Arizona. They were terrible against Josh Dobbs. They were terrible all year except for the last three games. I'll give them. Week Martindale has drawn some stuff up. And the third thing is the Giants' offensive line is improving. They're terrible. If you don't even throw the ball, how do you know if they were good or not? Well, somebody's got to block for the running backs. There's nobody's. It's all stuff. It's all Saquon. Evan I mean, what Neal I would stink. say. Evan Neal is, is a totem pole. I can it, play better guard than tackle than Evan Neal. He stinks. You haven't seen Evan Neal for two weeks. I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I, you know, I think it's a a kick in the right direction for the Giants with Andrew Thomas potentially a new hope coming back Sunday. You're you're better off putting putting Joe Jett at left tackle than than Evan Neal. But the kid Tyrese Phillips has acquitted himself well. They've done a better job of balancing out the O-line. And and Taylor had been able to have some mobility, showed that. After the Miami yeah, game, I think they got the message that there had to be adjustments made. So you have that's to give why you got, that's, to, why you get, that's why you got two quarterbacks that are hurt. But, I, you know, I think the defense gets a little ragged on for earlier in the season. I think it's a damn good unit, and I think they were put in, in, a, in a corner by the offense. I, I think that was fairly obvious. So we'll and have to other, agree to disagree there. And one other thing. Go ahead. It was pouring rain. Pouring oh, rain. I had friends the in the game. They said it was miserable. Zach Wilson didn't play that bad the whole game. He had three huge drops in the game. Three monstrous drops. Brees Hall would have went for another touchdown if he doesn't drop that pass over the middle. Garrett Wilson dropped the 20-yard pass. Yes, he did. And Lazard dropped the key pass over the middle. Zach Wilson threw for 240 yards in torrential downpour and brought his team back to win. If you only just watch Rex Two Lewis, inexcusable fumbles. No, the second one wasn't inexcusable. It was a new center. The center came in and made a bad transaction. The bad. first, the first, it was a bad transaction. It was a third string center. This kid's playing with three third string offensive linemen, one Correct. second string offensive lineman, okay. and Makai Becton, who made Kayvon Thibodeau, who stinks all year, look like Reggie White. Okay? Kayvon Thibodeau hasn't got around one good left tackle. He goes around this 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 Beckton like he was like he was Evan Neal. Thibodeau had a really I mean, really good game. He's he's yeah, playing he played better than he Becton. gets credit for. Because he played I, against Beckton. He sticks all year. I've been I've been focusing in on Thibodeau all year. Any good tackle pushes him around like he's a little kid. You watch I, you watch you watch any good tackle play against Thibodeau. He doesn't get near the quarterback. I'm I mean, just telling listen, you right now. Yeah. He's used in a little bit of a different way. I think when they move him around that line, they're trying to get their footing. And I think the proof the last couple of weeks has certainly been in that pudding where I think yeah. when a season goes bad, and Vin, you know this. You're a Giants fan. You when yeah. you, when things go bad, you pick a target. It, for the Giants, it's been Daniel Jones. 
of late defensively. It's been Wink Daniel, until recently and Kayvon Thibodeau. Daniel Jones is fine. It ain't Daniel Jones' fault when you got nobody blocking from him. You give Daniel Jones an offensive line, you give him guys that are open, he'll hit them all day long. The I kid's hope got so. A cat, the kid's got a cat and he sees the field. He, you give him and put him on, you put Daniel Jones on Miami, he's throwing for four, 500 yards a game. And you put, you put Tua on the Giants, he's in fucking, he's in the Greenwood Cemetery right now. <laughs> Okay. I got you. Okay. Same thing with Zach Wilson. You put him on, on Miami, he's a, he's a pro bowler. It's all where you are. Daniel Hackett, I got to mention one thing about the Jets. Nobody Go. says. Every offensive move the Jets made in the offseason mm-hmm. has been a disaster. Aaron Rodgers, Nathaniel Hackett, Cobb, Lazard, Hardman, Cook, every guy they changed, put on, every move they made offensively, has been a complete failure, and they're still four and three with Zach Wilson. Okay, that's this kid's got so much resolve. I'm telling you, this kid is going to get better and better and better. You watch; he's going to have a. Mo- the true test for the Jets' defense comes Monday night. If they keep the charges in the teens, then I'll be a true believer in their defense. But I think it's going to be a shootout Monday night. Well, listen, the char- yeah. Yeah, listen, and 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 uh, Vinny, yeah, listen, I appreciate the call, brother. Thank you. And the, um, Gi- and the Giants are locked this week. <laughs> okay. Daniel Jones is going to have a big game. I hope so. Raiders are horrible. Thank you, brother. Um, okay, bye. Yeah, so look, like Vin has said, and he's, and he's called before, and, and most of the time, you know, I'll agree with Vinny. I'm not the one that's going to sit here and, and, and rag on Zach Wilson. Do I think he's the answer? No. But could you do worse? I, 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 do, I do think so. Right. I uh, certainly the resolve is a, is a good word there to use about Zach Wilson. I, the two fumbles irk you. Yeah, I know with the new center and, and, and all that stuff, but it, it, you can make excuses for days. You know, and I used to do that you know, for, 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 for Daniel Jones. The guy's got to play better when he comes back with a better Giants offensive line. And the, the fact of the matter is like that jet run defense has improved. So has the Giants offensive line. So we've had miscues with the Giants coaching late in that jet game. Inexcusable. Yeah, they've made adjustments up front that needed to be made. And you've, and you've seen better production on that line from tackle to tackle. And that's a big deal. Now, Darren Waller looks like he's going to miss extended time. That is going to remove a tight end for blocking purposes from the field because now Daniel Bellinger, who had served in that role and can be a reliable receiver, receiver is going to need to be that reliable receiver. So, you know, things don't get easier for the Giants here without Waller. Where's the ball going? I mean, you would one would assume with the zero that Isaiah Hodgins has been this year and the fact that Jalen Hyatt is struggling to get open, you're leaning on Darius Slayton here. So, you know, from a, a depleted wide receiver room to begin with, I mean, Paris Campbell had got pushed down the depth chart. We'll see what happens there. Um, you know, up front defensively, no more Lennon Williams. They they ship him off for two picks, which was great. Won a second rounder in the in the upcoming draft to Seattle. Um, yeah, but offensively, where's the ball going to go outside of Saquon? And now I would assume Darius Slayton. So we'll see. Um, but l- looking back at this Week Nine slate again, I like Tennessee on this road on the road Thursday night in Pittsburgh, and then you get into the weekend slate. Miami goes to KC. Tough spot for both teams. Kansas City coming off a really lousy loss to Denver. 
And you know what? I'm going to piggyback the L train there and go with Miami on the road. Um, Kansas City will be the home favorite. They should be. But give me Tua and company. Mike McDaniel uh, taking one at Arrowhead. Arizona goes to Cleveland. Uh, no Dobbs under center for Arizona. He's now in Minnesota, expected to be the starter with Kirk Cousins done for the season. I'm all over Cleveland on this one, but I'm not going to totally dismiss the idea that Cleveland can still put a Cleveland and dump this game away. Chicago goes to New Orleans. Give me the Saints. Uh, Chicago's in disarray. Uh, Fields not going to be back to 100%, whether he plays or not. I'll take the Saints at home in this one. Rams going to Green Bay. Look, like you're going to learn more about Daniel Jones the rest of the season for the Giants, and if he can lock up this job, I think the same is going to be said here for Jordan Love in Green Bay. Eight uh, picks this season. Um, you know, I think that's something that is it, it like Zach Wilson's turnover Sunday irk you. I think you have that there with Jordan Love, where some of these interceptions um, have been inexcusable um, to this point uh, in the season. And yeah, by the way, that's a good job by one of our listeners. The Kansas City Miami game this week, I misspoke. It actually is in Germany, uh, which I <laughs> I know rubs a lot of people the wrong way with these overseas 930 games, uh, especially if, if you're a fantasy player, keeping tabs on all those things. You know, lower scoring games you generally get when you go overseas. We had Jacksonville in back-to-back weeks, um, pretty much equipped themselves well out there, and Jacksonville's a team that's playing pretty good ball. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting to note, I know the NFL is sitting on the success with these overseas games, but the, the diehards don't like it. And I, and I get it. Um, you know, I really do. Uh, that's not going to change where I am. I, I just think Miami's going to win the game. Um, whether that game had to been in Arrowhead, South beach or in Germany. Um, so I'm still going to go with the dolphins, but you can, you, if you, if you see on social media and you research some of the opinions people have about these overseas games here, it's it's not all green. It's not all. It really isn't all that positive. Uh, so the NFL, despite what they say with ratings on TV and whatnot, and how it's been received overseas, might have to reevaluate what they want to do as they continue to really seriously consider uh, putting an NFL franchise uh, overseas. Again, like I said, I like the Rams over Green Bay. Here's Minnesota going to Atlanta. Um, you know. I, this was an Atlanta team that gave up four passing touchdowns to rookie Will Levis a week ago for Tennessee. You know, I think the future is bright there for him uh, as it is for when he's healthy, Anthony Richardson in Indianapolis. Uh, I'm going to go Atlanta here at home. I think it's close. I think it's lower scoring, but I think Atlanta gets it done. Uh, Desmond Ritter to the bench, so he will not be under center for Atlanta uh, this weekend as well. So the quarterback carousel across the league continues to go on and on. Seattle goes to Baltimore. This will be a good one. Seattle looked pretty good last week, but I like Baltimore here. I like Lamar and company at home, continuing some winning ways where they play well. Tampa Bay goes to Houston. Houston playing pretty good ball. You know, for a team that many thought would be toward the bottom, and you know, this is not a team that's going to knock down any, you know, postseason contending doors this year. Uh, but they played pretty well in D'Amico Ryan's first year there with C.J. Stroud under center. Uh, Tampa, middle-of-the-pack type deal uh, with Baker Mayfield. I just don't see Tampa going to Houston this weekend getting the victory. Uh, so give me the Texans. Washington's at the Patriots. I mean, if you are if you think the best game of the week is probably the Dallas-Philly game, then Washington-New England's got to be the worst. 
I mean, there, there's no flair for this game. Both teams are lousy. I'll go Pats simply because they're home. Colts go to Carolina. Uh, the Bryce Young rookie season has not gone well uh, for this Carolina team. Lately, you're starting to see signs of growth. He's targeting Jonathan Mingo, trying to get the ball out quicker. I'm, I like the Colts here, uh, despite the injury there with Richardson. Indy on the road over Carolina. Dallas goes to Philly. I got to go Philly here. Um, this is a well-rounded Philadelphia team. And as talented as Dallas is on the defensive side of the ball, I, I and the pounding that they just put on a, on a lousy Rams team, I can't trust Dallas going to Philly. NFC East matchup. I know all teams get up for the divisional matchups. I just can't see Philadelphia losing to Dallas this weekend at home. Giants go to Vegas. This is a Vegas team in turmoil. The Raiders will, I would assume, without looking right now, they will be the favorite at home. They're the heavy pick in most bracket pools now. Daniel Jones back. You would think Andrew Thomas comes back. Saquon Barkley played uh, pretty damn well uh, last week against that good Jets defense in the rain. Um I'm going to go Giants, low scoring, close. Good to have Danny Dimes back, but he's got to play well against an improved, uh, uh, with an improved offensive line up front uh, there for Big Blue. Buffalo goes to Cincy. It's a good game. I mean, you got Buffalo, Cincinnati, uh, Dallas, Philly. The game in Germany, for those who get up, uh, watch, I believe it's a 9.30 a.m. kick between Miami, Kansas City. You've got some good games here. Uh, I like Buffalo on the road. Cincinnati will be a slight favorite, but I'm going to go Josh Allen and company here. You know, I think this might be higher scoring than even some might assume with the two good quarterbacks here and the weapons both teams have an improved ground game for Buffalo. Uh, Leonard Fournette in the mix now. How he'll be used remains to be seen, but I like Buffalo on the road in Cincy. And then the Monday night game, you got the Chargers going to the Jets. Justin Herbert, I mean, is there a team in the league especially what happened blowing the lead to Jacksonville in the playoffs last year. Is there a team in the league with Justin Herbert at quarterback who needs more of a statement win or a marquee win in a big spot than the Chargers? It hasn't happened, but I do think it happens this Monday. I like the Chargers tight matchup. I think it'll be a physical game. I think this is a Charger defense that doesn't get talked about enough. Um, and certainly what the Jets have done, head above water at four and three. Uh, you know, stealing one last week against the Giants, but they've got wins over Buffalo, wins over Philly. This would be another impressive win for the Jets that I certainly think they're capable of getting and would not be shocked to be wrong here, but I am going to go Chargers close. Uh, look, it's a good week nine. Uh, you know, no week in the NFL is bad, but now with the buys creeping in, uh, some teams starting to get healthy. Uh, you know, the Giants are getting healthy in certain spots, but dinged up in the other ones. No no Graham Gano, no Darren Waller for extended periods of time. Uh, Kirk Cousins out in Minnesota with the ACL, and you've got some jockeying around. This is where it really starts to heat up, is now you can take a look at and see, you know, where your team is positioned. Uh, with the playoffs a couple of months away, still plenty of weeks ahead, plenty of games to go. Um, you look at a Jet team with a loss, you're four and four, still right in the mix. What five and three would mean to this Jet team with a Monday night victory? I mean, that stadium is going to be rocking Monday night when the Chargers come to town. And it's a Chargers team, you know, that with Staley and company need a, a marquee victory here 
and, and they, they hadn't got it under his tutelage the last couple of years. Yeah, I think this is a big spot for both teams. And if the Chargers come out of there, I mean, that's a big deal with after starting 0-2 to stay in this thing, moving toward the second half of the season. I think it would be pretty impressive, and I do expect that it will be um, the Chargers in a close physical contest getting that victory um, over the New York Jets this weekend. With you, With you every week. Sports Today with Peter J. And, you know, you heard it in the open, the highlight from last week as we switch gears to college football, the Oklahoma-Kansas game. From my perspective, it's a game of the week. Kansas hasn't done a thing in these marquee matchups in the Big 12, and all they do is come back late and take down then-ranked number 6 Oklahoma at home, 38-33. Uh, it was a it was a big victory. Uh, you know, we got a lot of Notre Dame fans that listen to the program. Another drubbing for Notre Dame as they pound on Pittsburgh after completely dismantling USC the week prior. The bad news for the Irish, though, is they lose their number one receiver for the rest of the season. That's tight end Mitchell Evans. And it, it's the kid who took over from Michael Mayer, who was drafted uh, by the Las Vegas Raiders this year. Uh, this wasn't a security blanket for Sam uh, Hartman, Notre Dame's quarterback. This was his alpha. And he's gone for the year. It makes you scratch your head a little bit that this kid was on the field when he got hurt and Notre Dame was beating Pitt 37 um, nothing. You've seen it before uh, you know, on many levels. When guys get hurt in games that are no longer in doubt, uh, and that's what happened to the Irish last week as they get prepared for a noon showdown this weekend uh, in Death Valley against the 4-4 four and four Clemson Tigers. Oregon looked real good last week, too. They beat uh, Utah 35-6. And Arizona knocks down Arizona State 27, uh, Oregon State 27-24. Biggest news of the week out of college football, and it's big news every year, when the first unveiling of the college football playoff rankings come out. Now, I think most people probably figured that Georgia would be number one. Committee disagrees. Top four going into this week, week 10 in college football, Ohio State, 8-0. Georgia, 8-0. Michigan, 8-0. Florida State, 8-0. Knocking on the door, Washington. And that's huge because right behind Washington at five is Oregon at six at seven and one. Oregon's only loss came to number five, Washington. Texas at seven, Alabama at eight, Oklahoma nine, Ole Miss at 10. Still not out of this thing. And the major players in the Big Ten, Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, these one-loss teams, they're all right there. So Penn State's got a shot here. Even after the loss to Ohio State, Michigan and Ohio State are going to play one another. But I think these rankings tell a lot. They certainly show how the committee feels about Ohio State's resume to this point uh, with some impressive victories thus far for the Buckeyes. They took one late uh, thanks to lackluster performance and decision-making in South Bend week four, uh, getting a three-point victory over Notre Dame. They pounded a really good Maryland team, uh, used defense to beat then-ranked number seven Penn State, and earned a tough victory over Wisconsin a week ago. Now Ohio State, as the fresh number one in the poll, goes on the road to Rutgers this weekend for a noon showdown in Piscataway. 
you know, Ohio State will be a monster favorite against this six-win Rutgers team, and I expect them to win the game, but this contest is going to be a hell of a lot closer than people think. If you're asking for a pick, I like Ohio State, but I they're not going to go in there and win this game 50-3. to three. This is a Rutgers team. Now, with the reinventing of what Greg Schiano's done in round two of his tenure at Rutgers is six and two. They're going to a bowl and they know it. But man, could you, what would a win for Rutgers over number one Ohio State meet to the trajectory of that program? I don't see it, but I see a close game. The game I love this weekend, Texas, seven in the first rankings are going to host number 23, Kansas State. This is an electrifyingly talented Kansas State team on both sides of the football, and they go to Texas this weekend. I mean, these are the type of games that you look forward to with Texas hosting, still knowing, even with the one loss, that you got a shot at the Final Four with some help. Man, I think Kansas State's going to go in there and give them a game. That's a noon kick Eastern time on Fox Saturday. I think Kansas State gets it done. I think it turns out to be the game of the week on paper as we talk now. But I do, I, I like what Kansas State is building here with the competitive slate they've played to this point. Matter of fact, I think they were done a disservice by being ranked 23 in this first poll in the playoff rankings. Give me the Cats going to take down the Longhorns in Austin on a noon Saturday on Fox. I like Kansas State. I think it's going to be a great game. You've got 8-0 Air Force. Start the poll at number 25. They might be one of the better stories in college football, doing it with defense, but that Air Force offense can punch you in the mouth. And they get an, an Army team who struggled this, this season to the, to the tune of 2-6. and six. You know, I'm, I'm going to go with the Falcons this weekend. Yeah, I think they get it done in fairly convincing fashion. I've already beaten Navy this year. Commander-in-Chief Trophy, they look to hang on to that with a victory over Army. And I think they get it uh, this weekend in Colorado. Georgia and Missouri, another good game. Mizzou starts out 12 in the rankings. Now Georgia bumped to number two. This game is in Athens, 3.30 on CBS. Georgia going to be without Brock Bowers again. I think they get it done at home. Close game. This Missouri team has been a fun story all season. I just don't think they're going to be able to get past McConkey and company uh, in Athens this weekend. Another game I love, Oklahoma State. They've been playing red-hot football as well. Uh, very similar to what Kansas State's been doing. They go against Oklahoma coming off that loss to Kansas. So an in-state battle. The Cowboys Welcome the Sooners. That's a 3.30 kick on ABC. I'll do it. I'm going to go Sooners there. I know they're on the road. They're the higher-ranked team, but I like Brett Venables and company rebounding from a gut-wrenching loss. Washington, USC. 7.30 kick, ABC. This USC team is reeling. And you wonder what type of impact this is going to have on the draft stock, potentially, it won't be much in my opinion. I think he's still the number one for Caleb Williams. The bad performance in South Bend, coupled with the struggles against Utah. Uh, this is a USC team that even last week against Cal snuck one out. 
I think Washington with Michael Penix, who's a Heisman contender, is just going to be too much, even though the game is at SC. You know, I like Washington here, and I like them fairly convincingly. You had both teams need the game, especially Washington knocking on the door of that top four. This would be a statement win again, much like the Oregon game was for Washington, if they can get it, and I think they will. Um, you've got a big slate of games this week. Arizona's going to uh, host UCLA. Uh, that's the late game on Fox Sports 1 at, at 10.30. Arizona at 5-3. and three, They've got some head-scratching losses, but they've played with the big guns well this season. You know, I think that'll be a good one. Everybody looks at a Chip Kelly team like UCLA and think they win with offense. But this year, it's been all about the UCLA defense. And I think you got a glimpse at how good they are um, against the, some of the playmakers that Colorado's run out there this season. Uh, you saw that last week. So this is a good UCLA team. They're going to get a good test uh, when they go to Arizona this week. But, I, you know, I think UCLA gets the job done. Um, and I do expect them to come out of there with a with a rather impressive victory and one that you would think would move them up in that college football ranking uh, from number 19 to where it is now. So, look, you get the week in the NFL, and I gave you the picks there. You've got everything that's going on with college football, uh, and you look at the NBA. And like I said uh, a couple of weeks ago, as the season goes on with, with football and now baseball ending, more basketball, more hockey. But just a quick note on the NBA, Celtics and Mavericks off the perfect starts. They look really good. The Nuggets have won four of their first five as they look to defend their title with Joker and company. Uh, the Knicks sort of sluggish out of the gates to the tune of two and three as they as they – try to get their footing and really learn who they're going to be on both ends of the floor this year. Well, you know, while healthy, um, you had all, all the hullabaloo around uh, the, the Clippers landing James Harden in the huge trade um, earlier in the week with the 76 or so Harden, PJ Tucker, Philip Petrosev go to the Clippers. Marcus Morris, Robert Covington, two good players, Nick Batum and K.J. Martin, and a first-round pick unprotected in 2028, and a few more other picks, including a pick swap, will go to the Clippers. Uh, but the, obviously the cornerstone of that deal uh, was James Harden, which for many people elevates now how they view the Clippers and their title hopes um, as the season progresses. Uh, in the NHL, it's amazing. You watched a historic regular season from the Bruins a year ago, and they had a lousy ending to it. And all they are is right here out of the gates, nine games in, 17 points, 8-0-1. And, and then the defending champ, Vegas Golden Knights, are right here with 19 points at 9-0-1. We are going to talk loads of basketball and hockey. We've got guests lined up uh, to come on and and give their professional insight and wisdom as the seasons progress. We're in the infancy. Baseball just ending. The Rangers get their World Series title. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff coming up, especially basically to the midway point of the college and NFL season. There is a lot to break down, folks. And as always, I appreciate you joining me every week on Sports Today with Peter J. We're doing a Thursday special because I got a wedding this weekend. My best friend's getting married out in Long Island, so I will be away this weekend, hence the Thursday night hosting. Um, and just before I get out of here, it, it, it wouldn't be appropriate to have this week's show uh, without mentioning mentioning the, the passing of the legendary Bobby Knight, uh, the legendary 
uh, Indiana coach. And, you know, people seem to forget that, you know, he played his college career a pretty damn good forward at Ohio State, um, coached at Army for seven years. It was an assistant there for a couple of years before taking the reins at Army. And then he spent three decades at Indiana before coaching almost a decade at Texas Tech. Over 900 wins in his career, won a title um, as a player with Ohio State in 1960. Three titles, 76, 81, and 1987, his last uh, in Indiana. I mean, this is a guy who was a, a marquee figure, five Final Fours, I think it was 11 or 12 Big Ten regular season titles. Uh, there was an NIT championship thrown in there. Sure, not without the controversy. It was it was a king of the one-liners, was Bobby Knight. Right, said when he when he was dead and buried that they bury him upside down so his critics can kiss his ass. I mean, he he had some great quotes throughout the years, aggressive at times, but from an XO perspective and winning, and someone who clearly, despite how controversial he could be, how raucous he could be, how coarse and vulgar he could be at times, somebody who clearly loved the game of basketball. Uh, Bobby Knight passed, passing away earlier this week. Um, at the age of 83. So certainly uh, rest in peace to Coach Knight, who won't soon be forgotten what he did at uh, Indiana and beyond uh, for the college basketball landscape. Thank you to everyone who called in, listening in. Um, Danny chiming in, reminding me that, yes, the Miami-Kansas City game this weekend is not at Arrowhead. It is it is in Germany, to the chagrin of many people watching the game here in the States. It's a 930 uh, Eastern time, uh, 9.30 a.m. Eastern uh, kick this weekend with Germany playing host to the National Football League as the NFL continues to explore the potential of opening a franchise and expanding overseas. We'll see you next Friday, uh, November 10th, right here, same time, same place, 7 o'clock Eastern time. There'll be a ton more to break down, and we can get into it all. Have a great weekend, everybody. I appreciate all of you for including me as part of your schedule and sports today with Peter J. Moving forward, I'll talk to you all next week. And as always, go Irish. Sports Today with Peter J.